Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the sleep-in service. I'm glad that you are here. And as you can tell, it's summertime. And in summertime, we have lots of people that come and go. And so if you are here in the room, welcome. If you're watching online from a campsite in Washington, Oregon, or Idaho, welcome. If you're on the other side of the world, we're really glad that you've chosen to join us as well. We're going to have a quick family moment here, and then we'll get into the Word of God. So over the last couple of weeks, you've noticed we've been talking a little bit about finances and summertime. And the reality is this. I want everyone to hear this, okay? We're great. We're awesome. We have a solid foundation. Our finances are doing really, really well in those particular areas. And because of your faithfulness and generosity, we've been able to store up, which is good, not too much, but just in the right pocket. And so we're really grateful for that. During the summertime, what I need you to know is this. It's your faithful and steady giving that allows us to continue to do ministry. Because in the summertime, crisis does not take a break. Ministry continues. In fact, as you're leaving today, we're going to hand you a CTK Life. Normally in the summertime, we would hand you one page of opportunities. This year, we're handing you a 16-page catalog because we're not taking a break this summer. We're actually pressing into ministry more than we ever have. And I also wanted to give you another opportunity to understand what your giving actually does. So tomorrow afternoon at 1 o'clock, this room is going to be filled with firefighters. They're coming to lay to rest a former police or former fire chief from Bellingham, Washington. You should care about this memorial tomorrow, and let me tell you why. Gary Hedberg pioneered the 911 system right here in Whatcom County. If you've ever had to call 911, you should thank Gary. He also pioneered Medic One. If you've ever had to call for paramedics to come to your home or the home of someone you love, you should thank Gary. Well, tomorrow, we're going to fill this room with firefighters who are coming to say goodbye to someone who led them and led our community in care and concern for many years. When I sat down with the three daughters of Gary, at one point in the meeting, they asked this question. Grant, how much is this all going to cost? And I said, nothing. Woo, nothing. Nothing. It's not going to cost you anything because the family of Christ the King is going to pick up the tab. We're going to say thank you to your family for all the sacrifice from your dad. Your giving allows me the privilege and the honor of being able to pay that forward. And I wanted to say thank you because of all the work that you do and how we get to continue that ministry. So one of the ways that you can help us stay steady all summer, you can give. Or you can pray to the God who provides everything because it all comes from him in the first place. Amen? Amen. Quick story. We've been doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter study of the biggest fish story in the Bible. If you missed any of the weeks, let me give you a quick recap. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah says no to the go and runs two and a half times in the opposite direction because Nineveh was not just a bad place. It was an evil city that lived off the blood of the conquest of Jonah's own people. Jonah had good reason to want to run, and that's exactly what he does. He runs, and then God provides a great storm to bring his rebellious prophet back to a place of obedience. Jonah actually owns his disobedience, and in an amazing moment gets tossed overboard. While a revival breaks out in the boat crew that tossed Jonah overboard, Jonah's up to his neck in water. And God commissions a great fish to take Jonah back to where he came from. And we learned the fish was not punishment. The fish was God's salvation, his grace, and his mercy. Jonah encounters God in the depth of the ocean, in the belly of the fish. And he also taught us how to pray when we're in it over our head. 
Jonah experiences spontaneous regurgitation and takes a long walk, long walk back to a city that he dislikes strongly. He preaches a five-word Hebrew sermon and the city that Jonah hates comes to God. And you would think that would make this evangelistic prophet smile, but it doesn't. He's frustrated with God's grace. If you wanted to summarize the journey with Jonah so far, I would break it down this way. Chapter one, he's running from God. Chapter two, he's running to God. Chapter three, he's running with God. And in chapter four, he has a run in with God. Now let's pause for a moment. When I say the word run in, we tend to think negatively. We immediately think about deep conflict. But what if this is different? What if this run in was a glorious collision between God and humanity? What if this raw and honest moment that we're about to hear is actually a mirror to our own souls and can teach us so much about the heart of God and ourselves? Well, let's take a moment and listen to Jonah chapter 4. Pastor Brian. But Jonah was greatly dis displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home, that is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he, was, he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, said Jonah. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? As you listen to the story, you've already made some judgments about Jodah. Every article, commentary, or message that I reviewed to prepare this message cast Jonah in a negative light. One commentator even said, what a jerk. And the question kept coming back to, how could a prophet of God be angry about people coming to Jesus? Every single expert or pastor or teacher judged and condemned Jonah for getting angry about an injustice that was real to him. And I started out in the exact same spot. 
I judge Jonah because I got fixated on the salvation of the city, which by the way is a big deal. But if you only focus your eyes on the city, you completely miss out on the gracious and truthful interaction between God and the, between Jonah and the God who loved him. God and Jonah are struggling, and it's okay. Did you hear that? Struggling with God is okay. Jonah chapter 4 brought some tension into the fishbook household this week. I'm a grace guy, and I got stuck there. And God, in his providence, gifted me with a wife who's a justice person. And grace and justice can feel at odds with each other. And there were some moments this past week when Laurel and I were at odds with each other over Jonah chapter 4. I struggled with Jonah's raw emotion. Laurel loved his raw emotion. I loved that Nineveh was saved. Laurel loved that Jonah spoke out of his frustration that Nineveh got saved because he'd witnessed their evil. I struggled with Jonah's frustration. Laurel struggled with my struggle. And on Wednesday morning, we're passionately talking about this chapter, each with our own perspective, and I realized something. I was going to have to start all over again. Everything that I had prepared to preach in Jonah chapter 4 got thrown to the wayside because I began to realize that God was up to something great in my own heart. Listen to this first verse. But to Jonah, this seemed wrong. What is this? Jonah was struggling with the salvation of the people of Nineveh because for his entire life, he had a front row seat on their violence and their brutality. This city had conquered Jonah's people through rape, torture, murder, and evils I can't even describe. They used to pile up the skulls of their victims on the city walls to send a message. If you mess with us, this is what happens to you. Jonah's struggling. Why would God save these people? But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord. Do you see a profound connection between Jonah's anger and his decision to pray? I do. Jonah didn't take his anger to social media. He didn't gather a committee of friends that he knew would absolutely agree with his position. He didn't even send an anonymous letter to the editor. No, Jonah immediately took his raw emotion of anger to God and he expresses it out loud. God, I am frustrated. I am angry. I just don't understand. Transparent moment. I've struggled with this level of transparency with God my whole life. There was something in me that created a formality in my communication with God. I, I felt like I had to sanitize and prepare my talking points and that I would come to God in a spiritual press conference and make my prepared statement that would hopefully garner his favor and a positive response. It sounded something like this, my dear heavenly father, I had to unlearn that pattern. Jonah helped me go there. I never used to use these phrases, but I do now. God, I'm, God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm angry. God, I don't understand. God, I need something new and fresh. And you know what I discovered? God was okay with it. So I have a question for you. Do you trust God with your raw emotion? Or do you modify and change or even censor what you're really feeling so that you appear more reverent 
More questions. When you experience deep feelings, do you, do you run to him without hesitation or do you just unleash them on the people that are around you? Do you have the kind of relationship with Jesus that you can express when the pain of life just doesn't make sense? Do you share everything with God or do you bypass him and handle it your own way because you don't think he can handle the real you? I love and long for this kind of raw connection with Jesus that Jonah had. And I want you to listen to him talk. He starts talking and he says, I knew it. I knew you were going to forgive him. (laughs) I knew this is how this story was going to end up. I didn't want to go, so I ran. God, I have been consistent through this whole story. I ran because I knew this is how it was going to go down. You were going to save them. Jonah said, I knew you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says, I I know you, God, but I also know myself, and I'm struggling because I don't know what to do with all of the evil that I've seen from the same people you just forgave. Jonah may not say it, but he's thinking it. This is what I want. I want protection for me and punishment for them. And his internal struggle is so exhausting, he gets to a place where he just wants to die. Don't judge him even more. Because we all have moments when we get a little dramatic, right? By the way, if you just said no, don't lie in church, okay? (laughs) We all have moments like this. I just don't want to do this anymore. Here's what's so beautiful. God is near. Jonah's angry. He's frustrated, and it's okay because God was with him in the frustration and in the anger. Here's what I love. As he expresses it, God doesn't leave him. God doesn't forsake him. God stays with Jonah. Do you need to hear that today? If you're struggling with God, here's what I know about his character. God won't leave I need to hear that over and over again. God's not put off by my spiritual struggle. God meets me in the struggle. What God doesn't want for me is to run from the struggle, but to run to him in the struggle. If this resonates with you at all, we're going to start a brand new series next week called Dear God. If you have a perfect prayer life, you're excused for the next nine weeks. But if your mind has ever wandered while you're praying, you need to be here. Because we're going to have an honest conversation just like Jonah did. God meets Jonah and he asks what I believe was a gentle question. Jonah, have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? If God was speaking, I believe he would say, Jonah, here's the deal. The same grace that saved you is being extended to people you don't like. And I know that's tough to accept, but can we talk about it? Can we struggle through this together? Would you stay in the conversation? Because if you do, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna experience my heart for them and for you. I love what comes next. Jonah puts himself in a timeout. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. In his anger, with this question ringing in his ears, Jonah steps away and seeks shelter. Now, once again, every single commentator, every single article 
Every single pastor deduced that Jonah was being rebellious and that he was rejecting the shelter of God and creating shelter on his own terms. I've got a question. What if that wasn't the case? What if Jonah was so self-aware that he knew, I need some time and space to think about this. What if he was so aware of his anger that he said, I, I, I need some distance. I need some distance so I can continue the conversation and the struggle to hear the heart of God. What if this wasn't rebellion? What if it was wisdom? Question, do you know yourself well enough to be able to put yourself in a spiritual timeout? Do you know yourself well enough to be able to say, I need to stop. Before I lose control, I need to stop. Before I make somebody else pay for my frustration, I need to stop. I need to pause. I need to pray. I got to take a walk. I need to find a steep road up a big hill. I need to go and seek some shelter. I need to wait until I hear God's heart. Question for you. Serious. Do you have spiritual breaks built into your responses and reactions when over anger has overtaken you? If you don't, I think we can learn a lot from Jonah. Look at what happens next, verse 6. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah, I love this line, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. Are we happy when God brings shade into our life? I don't know about you, but I love it. We love it when God provides comfort. When God provides comfort, this is what I think. God, you're doing your job. You're doing your job. When I'm living in the shade, I mean, when I have more than what I want, I can say it. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. We love and want the good life, and we do not want to hear the words of Job. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Jonah's loving the plant, but he's missing the point. So God provides a teachable moment. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. You can circle that word because it will help you adjust to what's really happening. God provided a worm. The same God who provided a fish and a trip back to Joppa, the same God who provided the plant now provides a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided, oh, there it is again. God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and wanted to die. Before I finish the scripture, Jonah's comfort, discomfort was so extreme that once again he says it. It would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah knew it. Same God who provided a storm, a fish, a vine, and now a worm was using his anger to create a teachable moment. Has anyone else in the room ever noticed that you need more than one teachable moment in your life? Anybody else in the room, God has ever had to get your attention more than one time? Have you ever experienced that parts of your life need a fresh perspective often? 
Anyone else notice there are rough edges that need to be removed from your soul time after time after time after time? If your response to what I just said is, no, Grant, I get it perfectly right every single time, then this is my biblical response to you. Wow. (laughs) Jonah's moved from comfort to uncomfortable. Oh, don't miss it. God's with him. Reminds me again of Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. God met Jonah in in the darkness of the depths and now God is meeting Jonah under the heat of a relentless sun. And here comes another gentle question. Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah has another moment. His honest response is, I do. I do. (laughs) Okay, here's one thing we know, right? When emotions are high, intelligence is low. Amen, right? Emotions are high, intelligence is low. We should be so thankful for a patient God. Jonas, I'm angry enough to die. That's transparent. And let's pause here for just a moment. I started thinking about this question. What makes people angry with God? In my experience of 30-some years of being a pastor, This is when I have seen we experience anger with God. Number one, when we think we deserve something from God and don't get it. When something is removed from our life that we love and we can't find a good reason. And number three, when we believe evil's gonna get a pass. Let me say it again. We get angry with God when we think we deserve something from God and don't get it. When something we love is removed from our life and we can't find a good reason and when we believe evil gets a pass. Jonah's stuck on number three. And in this teachable moment with the hot sun pounding down on his head and the wind dehydrating his very being, God is there and this is what he says. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. Sprang up overnight, died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And the animal lovers in the room are just going, oh, that's just so beautiful, like God even cares about the pets. God says, Jonah, I know it's hard for you to understand, but you're gonna need to come to peace with this. I love the people you don't like. That may be hard for you to hear, but it's true. God loves the people you don't like. That's a good reminder for us as we head into another election cycle. God loves the people you don't like. And you have to choose how you're going to deal with that. 
You have to ask yourself the question, are you going to seek your own kind of justice or are you going to trust God with his? Are you going to step away and find a safe way to express your frustration or are you just going to pull up to your keyboard and start typing in all caps just like you did three years ago? Are you going to pray for the salvation of the people you don't like? Are you going to accept the responsibility Jesus has given you to take his message of love and hope to the very people you can't stand? That's something to think about. God loves the people that you don't like. Jonah had choices all along the way. If you think about it, he could have kept running. I mean, when, when he got spit up on the beach, he could have walked away again. He didn't need to go to Nineveh. He could have headed south down the coast. Jonah could have said no to the second opportunity, but he didn't. Jonah could have refused that long walk into a city that he hated. He could have kept his mouth shut in defiance and anger. He could have bailed on this hard conversation with God at any point, but he didn't because in spite of his feelings, he stayed in the conversation and in the struggle with God. Let me say that to you. It doesn't matter how you are feeling. You can choose to stay in the struggle and the conversation with God. So this is a mirror moment, Jonah chapter four. Take a look at your own life. Can, can I ask you some questions I've been asking myself this past week? Have you bailed completely on a conversation with God because you didn't get what you wanted? Have you gone silent because you didn't feel like justice was served in the way that you thought justice should be served? Have you walked away from a tough God conversation and just chosen a culturally acceptable answer to an issue because you don't want to live in the struggle between what God wants and what the world wants? Jonah chapter 4 is a mirror on our own relationship with God, and this is so powerful to me. God is pursuing an entire evil city, but he never loses sight of Jonah. Can I tell you something? God cares about Bellingham, Sumas, Blaine, Everson, Nooksack, Sudden Valley, Ferndale, this city, that city. God cares about every single person in those places and he has never lost sight of you. Amen. You see, God's up to something great in the city, and he's also up to something great in the heart of his very struggling prophet. And that's where the written portion of the story ends. With God's question hanging in the air, not just for Jonah's consideration, but for ours as well. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Some of you are addicted to resolution. You like sermons like sitcoms. You want it to come in for a nice pretty landing at the end. You want me to tie a nice red bow on the top of it. Here's the problem, I can't. I can't. Jonah finishes with a cliffhanger. 
God asking a question to his prophet who he has had this wonderful exchange with. Jonah, shouldn't I care about this amazing city? It's a teachable moment and hopefully a new perspective. Jonah's confronted with God's concern for this great city. I've got another question. Where do you need a godly confrontation that could bring you a new, fresh perspective? If you read through all four chapters, this is a part we can't miss. All along the way, God's working. God's working in the shade of the vine. God's working while the worm chewed. God was working while the plant was withering. God was working in the heat of the struggle. And and how was God working? God was showing Jonah that in the shade and the comfort, the disappointment and the despair, the honesty and the anger, that God was still there with him up to something great. God was teaching Jonah that a vine-centered life never ends well because if you only focus on the blessings, you come to love the gifts more than the God who gave them to you. So let me increase the lack of resolution for you with a series of questions as we close. Are you still running from God? You could stop right now and meet him here today. Have you reconciled the truth that God loves the people you don't like? If so, how is that going to change the way you interact with them? Church, are you wise enough to put yourself in a spiritual timeout? Because here's what I can tell you. If you're wise enough to do that, God will meet you there. God will meet you anywhere. Another question, how honest with God are you really? Like God's a place of perfect safety. You can bring all of you all of the time without fear of rejection and he will meet you there. Another question, are you addicted to the comfort of the vine? Will you trust God when the worms come out? And then we cha- and they challenge you to love God, not just the gifts. Are you someone who lives in the tension between justice and grace? Will you trust God to do both perfectly? Last week, Pastor Brian Steele talked about how Jesus was a better Jonah. That was not a slight on Jonah. It's a beautiful parallel. See, Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish. Jesus spent three days in the belly of death, making a way for all of us to come to him. He completed his mission perfectly. Here's the reality. We don't know how Jonah finished his mission. But in my personal opinion, with his new perspective and how God did something great, I believe one day those who know Jesus will have an opportunity to pull up a chair knee to knee with Jonah and we'll get to say, Jonah, you taught us so much about being human. And now I'm just wondering, would you please tell us how the greatest fish story in the Bible wrapped up? I love Jonah. He's messy. He struggles. He's human. 
but he discovers no matter where he goes, God is near. May you experience his nearness this week. May you not hide from the struggle. May you rush towards it. And may you be faithful with everything God has asked you to do. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we wrap up this morning together, we thank you for a story that doesn't appear to have resolution. And God, we look forward to the day when we can sit with Jonah and say, okay, tell us what happened next. But in the meantime, God, I pray that we would learn from his beautifully transparent life. God, I pray that we would struggle in the right areas, that we would move towards you. Lord, you, you are fixed and steadfast and sure. So in every struggle that may beset us this week, may we continue to be close to you in proximity, knowing you will never move. You will never leave. You will never forsake. And that you have all of the answers to the questions we have. So Lord, thank you for four weeks with our friend Jonah. I pray that each lesson that we've learned on prayer, on loving people that we struggle with, Lord, that every lesson would fall deeper into the depth of our soul and that we would live differently because of our good friend, Jonah. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Church, before you disappear on me today, here's what I'd love you to know. We have a group of people who stand at the front here called the After Service Prayer Team. If you're angry today, don't leave. Come forward and pray. If you're struggling with God's justice, don't leave. Come forward and pray. If you have someone in your life and you for the life of you cannot figure out why God loves them as much as he does, don't leave. Come forward and pray. The opportunity is for you. And I know you will never be disappointed to have an interaction with a group of Jonas who come and stand here every single week. Enjoy the sun. Get outside. May you be deeply blessed and may the scorching wind stay under 85 degrees this week. God bless you guys.